this morning uh, we're in uh, Mark chapter 6 but um, I just wanted to just start off with a statement if it feels like we're having to weather a storm and it feels pretty heavy and it feels like our lives are out of control then that is because they are it's a heavy time I heard that in day 10 of being sequestered uh, sometimes in isolation our minds begin to go stir crazy and, and uh, we get filled with anxiety sometimes and, and maybe depression um, and so I just want to acknowledge that right up front um, if you feel like wow this is such a hard time for me then just want to let you know that we're all in it together and you're normal you're not going nuts and we'll get through this together but it's a painful valley the truth is though our lives are out of our control when Adam uh, the first human being on this earth when he uh, was first given the lie and he believed the lie that he could become his own God or become like God that's when life turned around for him he had a pretty good gig going he and Eve he had a beautiful wife he had a great responsibility uh, to govern the gift of this world. He walked and he talked with Adam, and above all, he was sinless. And yet, because he believed the lie, he quickly realized that he was not equipped to be like God, and his life became topsy-turvy, became a mess. And neither are we equipped to be like God. Acts 17, we're told, for in him we live and we move and we have our being in him, in God, in Christ. And this pandemic of the coronavirus, I think, is serving to remind us that we are not in control. Even when we thought we were in control prior to this, we're not in control. But God is. God still sits on the throne, we're told in Psalm 103, that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So, if God is sovereign, does that stand to reason then that God created this coronavirus if he's sovereign over this? And I would simply answer no. Yes, he is sovereign, but he didn't create this mess any more than he created or orchestrated Adam and Eve's fall in the garden and their disobedience, which led to chaos and destruction and death. That was not a thing of God. But what God does is he takes everything thrown at us by way of evil and sin and our poor sinful choices. He takes it all and he uses it for the good, for those who love him. He takes it. Um, And he recycles it. If you can imagine all this evil thrown at us, even this virus, disease, sickness, and death, throw it in that blue recycle bin, but then it gets taken and used for good. It gets recycled. So we could say that God didn't orchestrate this coronavirus, but he has it on a leash, and he's going to use it for his purposes, for his glory. And what might those purposes be? Well, they might be similar to the purposes that God used the storm in his disciples' life in Mark chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 6. 
And you, you can read at the very beginning of Mark 6 that um, Jesus came into his own hometown, a prophet without honor. And then he sends out the 12, two by two, on a short-term mission trip where they're empowered to preach the kingdom, preach repentance, and then heal the sick and cast out demons. And then they returned, and they were all excited and ecstatic about this power that they experienced. But then they came back and would have heard the news that their mentor, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by the emperor. And they were like, whoa, this is horrible. And so they were on a high, and they came crashing down. And so Jesus then uh, tells them, hey, let's just get away for time of solitude. But as they were getting away, the crowd followed them and, and crashed their party and, and just, um, just crowded them. And the disciples would have been exhausted emotionally, spiritually, um, relationally even. They needed space alone. They were probably hungry as well. And so uh, they said to Jesus, they said, Jesus, uh, send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they're thinking, us, we want to... We need to we just have this, this much food. And it's for us, Jesus. You want us to give it away? And Jesus said, yes. And so then we know the story of the multiplication of the fish and bread. And uh, they fed the 5,000. And after everyone was well fed, the disciples gathered up 12 basket, ba baskets full of leftovers. And then we're told in Mark 6.45, which is our text, immediately, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Immediately, Jesus would have known that his disciples were in desperate need for rest and, and um, restoration. And so he put them in a boat and he sent them away. But Jesus didn't join them he went on a mountaintop to pray. Jesus needed to get alone as well as he would demonstrate time and again before his disciples and others that he needed time alone with the Father. He needed to be uh, resourced and replenished. So the first message that we can learn from this story is that we, Jesus would say, you need to rest in me. Be still and know that I am God, God says. God created us to find rest in him, to be renewed in him. Jesus would later say, abide in me and let my words abide in you. Let me abide or remain in you. And this word abide simply means to be at home with, kick up your feet, relax, just spend time together with him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without fuel, a car will not move, even if it's a brand new 2021 version. It'll be useless without gasoline. Without water, our gardens, our countryside gardens, would wither and die without rain or water. Without oxygen, a person cannot exist. And so we sing the song, This is the air I breathe, your holy presence filling me or living in me. But how often do we forget this? How often do we really believe that we can kind of make it on our own? We've got our bank accounts. We have our homes. We have our families. We have our activities. We have our church. 
you know, we could kind of do it on our own. We really don't need to lean on God that much. But God set this truth into motion that we truly need to find a rest in him in the very beginning. After the six days of creation, what did God do? He rested. Did he need to rest? No. He's omnipotent. He doesn't sleep nor slumber, but he modeled for us in his creation what he intended for us to do because he knew that we would need to rest in him, our creator. And then the seventh day of the week, God told Moses to uh, give the law to his people. And the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Set aside one day of the week, not just to cease from your work, but to delight in God. Find your strength in him. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You know, we use the Sabbath oftentimes like a Saturday and we go and mess around and or we go binge watch TV or, or go to beaches, but we don't delight in the Lord. Perhaps God is saying, I need you to slow down and delight in me. And then the seventh year was a Sabbath year for Israel to allow the land to rest and lay fallow. Even the land needed to rest if it were to be healthy land. And then the seventh, seventh year would have been year 49, and year 50 was to be a year of jubilee, where again the land would rest, but not just the land, the animals, the slaves, everyone would rest. The slaves would be set free. The servants would be set free. Those who owed money would be uh, canceled of their debt. And if God hadn't commanded these periods for his people to rest, then they would not have rested. They would have continued to plow through life thinking that they were sitting on the throne as their own sovereign God, the original sin of Adam. But they would plummet, and they would wither and die. But then they would, they would argue with God, and God would respond in Levit, Levit, uh, Leviticus 25. You may ask, God says, what will we eat in the seventh year if we don't plant or harvest our crops? And then God says, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. You know, we will find that we will accomplish way more in the 23 hours that we have if, if we devote the one hour to God than in the 24 hours. With God's blessing, we'll accomplish more in 23 hours. In the same way, with God's blessing, we'll accomplish more in our six days of work than if we didn't take Sabbath rest. rest. In the same way, we will accomplish way more with a 90% of our income if the first 10% is devoted to God. God set aside this principle to seek him first in his kingdom, and then all these other things, including our rest, will be given to, to us as we need it. The bubonic plague in 1665 rapidly spread throughout England, and Isaac Newton had just graduated as a 23-year-old from Trinity College in Cambridge, and he found that he had to quarantine himself in his parents' farm some 60 miles north of Cambridge. And so he did so. And by the way, this picture, who does it look like? Our beloved worship leader, doesn't it? I'm just saying. 
Anyway, during that year of being sequestered and quarantined, uh, Newton had a lot more time on his hands. And so he dove into experiments and such. And this is the year that he developed the principles for calculus. If it weren't for this bubonic plague, I wouldn't have had to flunk out of calculus in high school. He, experienced, he experimented with fractions and with optics, and he began to develop his theory of gravity and the laws of motion. They called this year the year of wonders because Isaac Newton had literally changed the face of science. Could it be that God is using this coronavirus to slow us down so that we give more thought to God, press into him and his word? Learn how to listen to him rather than come to church and listen to preachers and teachers and whatnot. We, we have to learn how to self-feed on the word of God. Be still and know that I am God. And then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Don't deepen your soul. He said, I'll give you rest. Corey Ten Boom said it this way. If we look to the world, we'll get distressed. If we look within, we get depressed. But if we look to Christ, we will find rest. And that's what Jesus promises us. Well, then later that night in verse 47, we read, Later that night, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. These experienced fishermen were stuck in the middle of this lake, straining at the oars in order to fulfill their goal to get to the other side. I'm sure they were so frustrated at their wit's end. They're beginning to get scared. The waves are plummeting. And they might have been thinking, Jesus, why didn't you come with us? Jesus, where are you? Don't you care? Well, the second message that Jesus wants to convey to us during our storm of COVID-19 is this. I am with you in the storm. Even when I feel like I'm a million miles away, I'm right there with you. And he is. Verse 48, we're told, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus saw them. He was watching them from the hill. If you see on the picture, you'll see a hill, and then you'll see the sea. And Jesus climbed this hill, and he could see them even in the pitch dark in the middle of this eight-mile uh, uh, width lake. He could see them four miles out, straining and frustrated and getting panicky. He saw them. He was watching over them, even when they couldn't see him. And he's watching over us even though we might not feel that or see him doing so. Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night all around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God, for the night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows when we're frustrated he knows when we're exhausted. He knows when we're afraid. But Jesus did more than uh, see the problem and predicament his disciples were in. He actually went out to them. Verse 48. In verse 48, 
he saw his disciples straining, and about the fourth watch of the night he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, and, and they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. You see, the disciples were terrified because they, they believed that at the end of their earthly lives, they would see the angel of death coming for them. You know, the grim reaper. And here they see this eerie figure in the dark coming toward them, and they were convinced this was the angel of death. And so no doubt they were terrified. So understandably, they would cry out. You may be crying out to God. You may be feeling like, man, I'm point of desperation. I don't know how the finances are going to make it through this time. I don't know if my job is secure. I don't know how I can deal with the kids at home. At first, you know, we love having the kids home, but they can't go out. So now we're thinking about trading them for toilet paper. And, uh, you know, that's not a good thing. Now, we, that's what we're thinking, and we feel guilty about that. But then we feel sad for our kids because they can't do what they want to and, and they miss the state tournament, they miss the prom, they miss graduation, they miss, and so we feel very sad at all of these great losses. We might feel anxious and depressed. We might feel isolated and lonely. Some people turn to substance abuse. Some people even have suicidal thoughts in storms like this. But know, know this, when you cry out in your fear, when you're terrified, know that Jesus sees you and he hears you and know that he comes to you and he's with you. Jesus speaks and we know that. But sometimes we need to see Jesus in flesh and blood. And so Jesus said, blah, I've given it to you. It's called my body. I am the head, but this is my body. We are his body. We are meant to call on each other in times of desperation. We're meant to be advocates, lights in the darkness, hope to the hopeless. And during a time like this, we need to do so. We need to pick up the phone. If you're feeling isolated and alone, please call the church day or night, and we'll give you our cell phone numbers. We'll pray with you. We'll run to Walmart or wherever for you. Uh, we'll get others to help serve you. Um, by keeping six feet away, obviously. Uh, but we care for you and we love you. And we want you to know we are available. And we're doing everything that we can and know how to do uh, to make ourselves available and continue to encourage you in the Lord. But Jesus also speaks specifically to us. If we listen, he speaks. In verse 50, immediately after they cried out in terror, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage. It, it is I. Don't be afraid. I, I'm not the Grim Reaper. I'm your Savior. I'm here for you. If you've ever owned a baby monitor, you know, we had a baby monitor for our kids and placed it on the nightstand beside our bed. And those baby monitors are wonderful inventions because our kids' room at, in Indiana, especially, it was way across the other side of the house. And so we could hear every movement. But these baby monitors could drive you nuts as well because with every move, it sounded like the 4th of July fireworks going off. You know, the, the child might just hit the side of the crib and we're, we're startled awake. And, and oh man, and, and so they're cause for insomnia. They're cause for nervous breakdowns as well. I'm just saying. But they're helpful. And so what do we do? 
when our kid is crying in, in the nursery on the other side of the house. Well, we hear the baby monitor, we shoot up and we run across into the room and, and then we begin to wag our finger and say, you, you have to be quiet. You have no faith. You gotta put faith above fear, child. Faith above fear. We don't do that. Instead, we walk in there and we pick up our child, we comfort them, we speak to them, we let them know we're here, we let them know uh, that they're okay, and we just love them. That's what we do as parents. And once they settle into sleep again, then we walk back to our rooms, and then, well, okay, Lynn walked back to her, <laughs> to her room, and she, she settled back into sleep. But guess what? Jesus never walks back to his room. He tells us in the last verse in Matthew, after the Great Commission, truly, I am with you always to the ends of the age. I do not go back to my room. I am with you always in this crisis. When you're isolated, you're not alone. I am with you. Can you hear him say, take courage, do not be afraid? The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, where can I flee from your presence, God? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, or even stuck in the middle of the sea, then you are there. Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And his presence gives us peace. Verse 51. Jesus climbed in the boat with them. And then what happened? Well, the wind died down. The waves stopped crashing, and they were completely amazed. Jesus' presence made all the difference and instilled a peace not only on the sea, but in their hearts as well. You've heard it said that sometimes God or Jesus calms the sea, the external situation, but more often he calms the storm within our hearts. He, he is the Prince of Peace. He gives us his peace. And then we read um, in Isaiah 26, you'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you, Lord. And then the final thing that I think Jesus would want to say to us in the midst of our storm of this pandemic is that I am your strength in the midst of the storm. I'm your strength, not just your peace, but I'm your strength. In the parallel gospel account of John 6, we read that when they took Jesus in the boat, immediately, immediately, the boat, the boat reached the shore where they were intending to go. They spent the entire night trying to get there, but they couldn't in their own strength. But Jesus accomplished the impossible simply because of his presence. When we try to live life on our own, we are going to fail. But when we call upon Jesus, his strength, his provision is made accessible to us. And we're able to do the impossible with his strength. You know, like when they fished all night long, the disciples, and in the morning they came to shore and they're frustrated. Jesus said, go back out there and put your net on the other side. And they did, and they caught all sorts of fish simply because of Christ's command and his presence. Does this mean that um, does this mean, though, that Jesus is going to fix our problem immediately? Will immediately get to the shore? And the answer, of course, is no. Not always. 
Uh, I read on March 28th um, an Open Doors um, article, not article, a, a daily devotional from persecuted peoples. And it spoke of a Chinese church pastor who was arrested and he was held for three weeks. And this is what he said. Uh, this is what amazed me the most. Whenever, whenever I was beaten up, and it was quite often during those three weeks, I would first feel searing pain and then another feeling would flood in, almost wiping the pain away. Do you know what that feeling was? It was pity. Pity for the man who was beating me. I kept seeing my interrogator as a man gone wrong. I felt sorry for his mother, who would have been ashamed of him. I wondered what kind of father he must have had to turn him into such a monster. I felt sad to be in the presence of one of God's creatures that could treat another human so badly with so little concern. Then I would get amazed at myself. Through the pain, I would think, I should, I should be angry, but I'm not. All I want is for this man to be saved. I have three broken ribs, a broken uh, a wrist, two teeth are knocked out, my kidneys are hurting, and yet all I could wish for was this man to find Christ and forgiveness. It sounds very strange, he says. It doesn't even ring true. It's more human to be angry or to be afraid. But I can only say that this is not myself making me feel this way. It was Christ in me. It was superhuman. It was divine. You see, Christ's presence makes all the difference in the world when we're weak, when we're frightened, when we're alone, when we don't know where to turn, when our finances are plummeting, when we turn to Christ, he offers us his strength, his power, and his provision. Jesus taught the parable of the, you know, the, um, the persistent widow in order to teach us to pray and never give up. Sometimes we have to pray through, persevere through trials. We've all walked through difficulties. And then he also said uh, to his disciples, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. And the verb tense is to continue to ask. Continue to keep seeking. Continue to knock. And then eventually the door will be opened in God's timing. Sometimes we have to persevere through trials like this. And we're persevering through this, um, through this mandate to stay home. And it's difficult in its uncertain future. We're having to persevere, but keep praying, keep asking, keep knocking. God says, I'm with you. How do we do that? Uh, well, we, uh, when, when Satan comes knocking at our door, then we simply ask Jesus to come and answer it with us. In the light of Christ, the light of the world, once the door opens, darkness will have to flee. Fear, anxiety, um, uncertainty will flee when we're in the light of Christ's presence, when we're listening to his promises, when we have the assurance of his presence. Darkness will flee, and he'll calm the storm that's happening within us. And it's not a once-for-all thing. It's a daily thing. We are in spiritual warfare daily against our enemy who, se who seeks to lie to us, control us with his deception. Well, the disciples would have to learn this lesson of seeing the miraculous, getting to the other side of the lake just like that, seeing the, the sea calmed right before their eyes. 
They would have to learn this lesson and use it again and again in the book of Acts. When they were asked to go into all the world, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, to preach the gospel, plant churches. And they face persecution and opposition and um, etc. and even death. And they had to learn this lesson that Christ's power was accessible and available to them. And they witnessed it as they watched the church of Jesus Christ explode at every, uh, through every corner in many continents. So before I'm completely brain dead, I'm going to wrap this up and invite the worship team to come up. Jesus wants us to know it's hard to preach to nobody, but everybody. You know, I mean, nobody here. It's, it's a little bit different. I have props to all those newscasters out there and all those uh, news reporters. Uh, and by the way, I wanted to thank the, um, the first responders. I really wanted to thank those who are in the medical field. I wanted to thank our, our leaders, in, like our mayor, and all those in, in the governmental positions as well. There's a lot of pressure on you, the school administrators, etc., making huge decisions. So I just really, really want to thank you uh, for being available to us, um, and we pray for you. Jesus wants us to know he's in control. He sits on the throne, he is sovereign, and he rules over all. He has a storm. The coronavirus is on a leash. He's using it for his glory. He wants us to know that he is our rest. He wants us to know that he is our peace. He's with us in the storm, and he wants us to remember that he is our strength. He can do the miraculous both inside and out as we turn to him. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us every step of the way, but we also thank you for the body of Christ, your earthly representation. Pray that we can all be here together. We can reach out to one another, make phone calls to one another, that we could um, drop emails to folks and text them and, and maybe even serve them in very specific ways. We thank you, Lord that we're here, you are here, not only by your spirit, but in the body of Christ as well. Thank you for your provision, in Christ's name, amen.